when I know how many hundreds of thousands of people have died and I didn't, and mine was such a bad case. I am fortunate. I am thankful. I am grateful to anybody and everybody who has been a part of my recovery. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you're a fan of the show, make sure you leave a review, rate the show, and share it on social media. It does a a great deal to help us build our audience. And by the way, if you like some of the guests that you've heard and you have some ideas on others that might be a great fit, please email me directly at rob at robeigner.com. That's R-O-B at R-O-B-A-I-G-N-E-R.com and uh, send me some guest ideas. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. I have a very important interview subject today. We're going to be talking with a gentleman, Rick Barty, who was born in Portland, Oregon, who just recovered from two very challenging months in the hospital after a very severe case of COVID. A little bit about Rick. He graduated from the University of Oregon in 1984, and for 30 years, he taught public school in Portland. He has two kids, Caleb, 28, a software engineer, and Shelby, 25. He's been uh, married to Julie. They just celebrated their first anniversary Uh, And he just had his 60th birthday, unfortunately, in the intensive care unit at the uh, Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland, Oregon. Really happy to have you here, Rick, and and, uh, happy that you're uh, recovered. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Rob. So, Rick, two months in the ICU, I can't even imagine what that was like. Point blank question, how close were you to dying? Uh, Very close. Um, had my wife not found me incoherent and gurgling at home, I probably would have been gone within an hour. And then when I got to the hospital, the first hospital, they had me on a very high rate of oxygen. And they got to a point where um, they couldn't get any more oxygen. So they needed to find an ECMO machine, which then allowed me to live. And they transferred me to Oregon Health Sciences University, where they were able to do all the hookups and fix my blood. So, okay. So question. So what, what was happening before she found you on the ground? Meaning were you already experiencing flu like symptoms and you had a fever? Like what was happening? Well, whenever I get the crud, so to speak, it always settles in my chest in the bronchitis. So I actually went to uh, zoom care when I had this nasty cough and had a COVID test. And this was about four or five days before I actually crashed. And they um, evidently the next day called me and told me I had COVID and I had some other medicine. But I do not remember anything about driving to Zoom care, getting the message, talking to my brother. I had a long stream of texts with my one of my colleagues because I wanted to keep her abreast, but I didn't remember any of that. So my body evidently was shutting down several days before. Uh, and were you, how cognizant uh, were you of the severity? Like, were you... Not a- 
You just thought you had a, a bad flu, basically. I just thought it was one of my typical cruds, bronchitis. And I don't remember anything um, from June 15th to when I came out of the coma at OHSU, probably three weeks later. So three weeks in a coma, what would you say when you, when you, what, when you went into a coma, was that induced or was that solely because of your condition? No, it was definitely induced because they wanted my lungs to rest and that ECMO was taking my blood out, oxygenating it and coming back in. Um, the first memory I have is this face in my face. And I wasn't sure who it was until I heard how you doing Sparky. And I realized it was my wife, but I was, I was still all looped up on drugs, but that's the first memory I have about three weeks later. And were you, did you have a sense of fear? Did you have a sense of relief that you were alive? Like what was your, what do you, what emotions do you remember feeling? I remember grabbing a hold of her and not wanting to let go because at that point, I didn't know why I was where I was, or let alone know where I was. So I don't remember anything about the paramedics taking me out of the house in a sling. I don't remember. I did have a text conversation with my cousin when I was at the first hospital, but I don't remember doing that. All the drugs they gave me just basically put me out. Very powerful, scary, narcotic dreams that were uh, terrifying. And, uh, you know, when I look, I did some research before our show today and, you know, the average age uh, of a COVID sufferer who's hospitalized is 61. So you're right in that zone. 65% of the, the subjects are male. So you fit that, you know, there's, there's a tendency towards obesity and diabetes and other things. Uh, do you, where do you fit into some of those other common traits? I, mean, I could certainly lose a few pounds, but all my organs were working well. Um, I was healthy. They were surprised that I was as sick as I was. Uh, one of the receiving doctors that night was a hospitalist up at OHSU, and she does like one night a year just to keep herself sharp. And it turned out to be a mother of two of my former students. So she was shocked and very worried. Um, at that point, we it was very touch and go. Mm. And one of the other receiving doctors was also a parent at our school. Uh, he was a pulmonologist that I've had contact with since, but they certainly were very concerned about next steps because evidently one, uh, 40% of people on ECMO do not make it off. Uh, well, yeah, and that actually is a perfect segue to another stat I wanted to share with you. I, I want to get your feedback on this. Uh, the CDC says that 23.8% of those hospitalized for COVID die. So basically a quarter. Yeah. So w- when you hear that, like, how do you, w- what's your emotional reaction to that? Um, it still gets me very emotional because I know how lucky I am. Mm-hmm. It, whether it was my, my village, um, my, my former school, one of the parents got kids to do cards for me and they reached out. And in my school's community, the, uh, the word spreads fast when anything goes on. So, There were people reaching out for me, but certainly my wife offering food, offering anything that they could do to help. Uh, My wife was getting overwhelmed with texts. So she started the Caring Bridge, which is an excellent way to keep people updated on certain situations. And she would post something every night. My progress was never a steady uphill. I'd do well for a day or two. Then all of a sudden, 
I'd have a bad day. And um, there were points where I, I did not want to go on. It, it is a horrible disease. No question. So Rick, um, and thank you for sharing that. So you got out of the hospital at what month? I got out March. Oh God, early March. Early then March. I to, then I went to a um, rehab facility, Robeson Home, where I spent two weeks. Because at that point, I'd only done limited physical therapy. And they had me up walking. And those first few days of walking were pure hell. Because my muscles had atrophied. Um, I had not enough energy. You know, at the hospital, they want you to get the rest so you can do the physical therapy, but they keep coming in every two hours to make sure you're breathing, to make sure, <laughs> take blood, whatever it is they need to do to make sure you're okay. So you're not even two months into recovery right now? Uh, about five weeks, yeah. But yeah. I, from where I was when I came home on oxygen 24-7, I am now not on oxygen at all during the day unless I'm going to go out. I always have it in the car, just in case I get in trouble. I do test my, my uh, oxygen level with an oximeter to make sure that I'm at 90 to 92%. But I just use it for sleep now. Um, I'm stronger. I can walk. I'm back to my sarcastic self to the chagrin of many people. But um, <laughs> the, the only thing that I am not back full-time yet is uh, my oxygen. And again, when I know how many hundreds of thousands of people have died and I didn't, and mine was such a bad case. I am fortunate. I am thankful. I am grateful to anybody and everybody who has been a part of my recovery. Yeah. I love, I love to hear that. So I'm curious, I'm going to go through the kind of the main list of long-term effects. Tell me which, if any of these you have, I'm just curious, Short, shortness of breath, lingering. Yeah. yeah lingering cough. That's better. Chest pain. No. Dizziness? No, I did initially when I was in the hospital. I'd be sitting up and I'd, woo, yeah, I'd get a little dizzy. Fatigue with limited ability to exercise. Well, I'm not able to do a lot in the way of that exercise yet. I'll be doing some uh, pulmonary rehab, uh, focus on the lungs to get them better. My lungs took a heavy hit. What? And what about took, what about joint and muscle pain? No. Taste and smell. Absolutely not. And I that thankful because I'm a foodie. <laughs> How about your sleep? I'm okay now. I do take a little support in that area, but I sleep. Gastrointestinal issues? Nope. That's good. And what and lastly, uh, depression and anxiety. Um, and those dreams that I had, I would have I had problems in the hospital. Um, I had some problems in rehab, but they've gone away. I've talked to a guy and he doesn't think I really have the PTSD as bad as some. I did it certainly had it initially because there were some dreams where I thought there were nurses out to get me and horrible, horrible dreams. Well, it sounds like you had a great support network. Oh, absolutely. Between that one hospitalist, that former parent of mine, um, she gave me her personal number and told me to call whenever. And on her own time, she came daily to visit me and whether just to hold my hand during a procedure or whatever. I mean, I had many procedures. I had a collapsed lung at one point. I had infectious disease doctors look at me when I spiked the temperature and they couldn't figure out what it was, but they did narrow it down to another pneumonia, which was hard to find because my lungs hit a lot of that stuff. The nurses and the doctors, I, I've always had respect for the medical field, but my respect now is, is a mad respect and beyond anything I could ever have thought of. 
Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn, powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting, distribution, and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Lipson.com, promo code CHOICES. So Rick, uh, how did this experience change the way you look at your own life now? I uh, don't take anything for granted. I'm very thankful for everybody, especially my wife, who would come up daily to spend three or four hours, except for the first two weeks when she was hit with COVID as well, just very minor case. I plan to go back up to OHSU when, when it's allowed to talk to people who were in a similar situation that I was, to give them hope and let them know that it is not a upward trajectory the whole time, but stick with it, you know, fight the fight, and they will do well. The doctors, they know what they're doing. They're still figuring things out, but they're getting more knowledge every day. Do you remember making any choices while you were in the hospital? And then second part to that question, what are the choices you're now making in your life that have been, that are changed because of the impact of this experience? Um, I tell my brother, I love him every time we get off the phone, whereas my family was not really raised that way. Um, I tell my dad, I love him. I, I am telling people I love them more than I ever did. And one of the choices I had while in the hospital, I was going through a particularly difficult time. I was still I was still coming off all the meds. And I was laying there just feeling sorry for myself. And I said, please just take me. I don't I can't do this. But then there was another voice that said, No, you're gonna fight this and you're gonna you're gonna come out on the other side. And I don't always consider myself to be the strongest person in the world, but there was something in me that that that's there that I did not know I had in me. And, and I kept with that thought in my mind when I'd have those bad days or when the lung collapsed and they're rushing me back to ICU to stick a tube in my side so I can breathe. I said, this is, this sucks, but this is just another step along the way to my recovery. Did you, do you remember feeling more hopeful that it was going to end and you were going to recover or more fear that it wasn't going to go well? I knew that there was hope because I was getting better. Not every day, but they told me that it was not going to be an upward trajectory the whole time, that I was going to have some tough days. And um, just watching the news and, and hearing all the horrible cases, I, I knew that I was getting better. Um, I wasn't getting strong like I wanted to because I would often fight the physical therapy at times. But I knew that it, I was going to get there because I had such a support. And, and I think the mental, emotional component is as important as the physical medical part. So Rick, the, the question I want to ask you now is a bit of a pivot. Uh, and that is when you see people in our country or around the world that are anti-vax or they're anti getting tested, or they don't believe in social distancing, like they think this is some kind of hoax or game or political tool. Like how do you process that given what you've just been through? Well, it certainly has become much more of a powerful reaction now, having gone through it altogether. I mean, I'm definitely all for vaccinations for all reasons. Even now, more importantly, we did four TV interviews and one print interview 
through OHSU and the local media here. And the question was, why do you, why are you doing this? And I always had the same thing because I want people to believe and understand that this is very real. Look at me. I went through this. It is a horrible, horrible thing. Wear the mask, get the vaccinations, do the right thing. If not for yourself, for the, for the rest of the world or the rest of your community. I just don't get people who don't believe it. Um, had our previous administration handle things in a more realistic, less political fashion, we would be in a different position than we are now. Very proud of how the current administration in the first 100 days has done wonders to get the vaccine out there and opportunities for people to be vaccinated. It's We shouldn't be where we are. Yeah. So what are the things, and I, you know, I think I, and many, many, many people listening uh, agree with you. What do you feel like you can do now? I know you said you're going to be visiting people at the hospital itself to give them a sense of hope, but what else do you think can be or should be done? Well, God, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I can only speak for myself. I want to just make it out there. Uh, As I was saying um, a minute ago, when we did one of the interviews and we had our garage door fixed, mm-hmm. one of the, the lady my wife dealt with didn't believe in the vaccine. And after she watched our piece, she agreed that the vaccine is a good thing and she got it. If I can impact one person to make a choice to better the world by taking the vaccine or wearing a mask or whatever it may be, then I feel I'm doing my job. We have to have more people out there who are making a clear choice to wear a mask and get vaccinated. It's the only way we're going to get through this. I have hope that we'll get there. Now you're, you were a school teacher. I appreciate, and I appreciate that sentiment. You were a school teacher for so long. What are your thoughts on the way schools have responded to this uh, last year and a half? Well, I had to retire (laughs) because of my uh, visceral reaction to using technology. My, my, purpose for teaching was to actually be in there with the kids. I could be arm to arm to help them pick up a new skill or solve a problem. For me, it didn't work. My opinion, schools should not be open. They should not be open until we are much more under control. We've had a bunch of cases of COVID in our schools. My previous school had had one two days after they reopened Mm. uh, for in-person learning. If the districts want to be ready for fall, they should be putting their energy, money, and time into preparing a more effective way to open schools in the fall. Mm -hmm. And we only had eight to 10 weeks. And then so many routines need to be retaught. And their kids are only in school for two hours at a time. So it's not like they're in there all day long, at least in Portland public schools. So um, they should not be opening. You think think the risk uh, is too great? Cause I know like, you know, it's interesting. Like my kid, I live in Los Angeles and uh, my kids just in April went back to a hybrid situation mm-hmm. after, you know, a year and change not. And, you know, look, there, there's fewer kids in the classroom. They're wearing masks. I understand that there's still, you know, risk inherent in that. I will say that they're, they're much to their own surprise. They're happier, you know, they're happier being around other kids and they're, I think they're more engaged in school, having it be physically there, but you're saying that despite that benefit, the risk in, in your opinion is too great for the teachers and the students. One life is a bigger risk than the kids. Now I understand that the kids want to be together. 
I understand that teachers want to be in the classroom working with their kids. Yeah. I'm just speaking from like one of my colleagues and she's doing the, the hybrid learning while the other teacher is doing the comprehensive distance learning. She still works with those kids, but she still has to put stuff out online. So she's working twice as hard. She called me last night and left school until seven o'clock. Her day started at eight mm-hmm. and she's paid till three thirty. Mm-hmm. So, and I, she's one of those people that definitely is going to put in the time to make sure that her kid's learning. And I, most teachers are going to want to do the things to make their kids learn. Yeah. So I guess kind of in, in, in closing, Rick, what, how would you sum up to the audience how a experience as harrowing as this, how it's changed you and how you hope to help others, you know, uh, learn from your experience? It's changed me in that I am much more grateful for life. I, I get emotional when I start thinking about how close I was to not making it. Um, 60 is too young to go. I want to make sure if I see someone not wearing a mask, I'm not afraid to say something. If people are thinking about getting vaccinated, I say, I had COVID and you do not want to get what I got. Mm-hmm. You don't make the choice to do the right thing. And that right thing. If you listen to the scientists, not the politicians, you listen to the scientists, they're saying the same thing that I'm saying. Wear the mask, get the vaccine. Yeah, there might be some issues with the vaccines, but we need to get people vaccinated so this can be under control and we can get back to a semblance of normalcy, whatever that may be in the future. Well, I'm uh, after the last year and a half and after hearing what you've just been through, uh, I think a little bit of normalcy is... uh, all uh, any of us want right now. So Rick, I really appreciate you shedding some perspective on, on what it's like uh, in, a, in kind of a, one of the worst case scenarios uh, if someone were to get COVID. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable with us today. All right. Thank you for giving me the platform. Thank you, Rob. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.